Hey, 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 Scott. <laughs> hey, Christian. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and slightly profane co-host, Christian Ubius, dropping one of the most notable quotes from today's movie, that, of course, being aliens, as we march on with our James Cameron blend of the month. Christian, I see uh, Big Jim has gotten to you. You're dropping swear words on the pod now. Your voice has dropped two octaves. You know, I'm curious what's going to happen the rest of the show. Did I ever tell you about the first time I tried cinnamon whiskey? You never told me this, I don't think. So, it was beer pong in college, but it was like a darty, you know, a day party. (laughs) For all you cool kids out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the water was like filled with grass in the cups, or the beer was filled with cups, so you got to make your own drink and you just took a swig. And I found something called Fireball. And I'm Mm. like, let me just, you know, fill this cup up. And so, you know, someone makes it, I take a big swing, and, you know, my voice dropped like three octaves. Mm. I feel like I grew two feet, immediately sprouted chest hair. Well, that's what it took, Christian. I'm glad for you. (laughs) No, I'm doing, I'm doing well. It's funny because I was watching Aliens and I was so tired because I, I started it very late in the day. And everything still like stuck to my head. Like, the scenes are still as potent. The dialogue is still as memorable. The concept is still as amazing. And the, oh, the Sigourney Weaver aspect to this. She is a national treasure. That she is, Christian. She is one of our national treasures. I recently won a trivia competition at work because one of the questions was asking about sci-fi heroines and Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver were options, so that was easy enough for me, especially as we're here in our James Cameron blend of the month. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this movie with you. I, as I mentioned last week on the show, I've never seen Alien or Aliens. And you watched both. And now I've seen them both, and I'm just on cloud nine i'm just a better person for it it's like two incredible movies and definitely something very interesting about this franchise is that different directors come to each installment until we get to ridley scott's prequels so you have ridley scott right to james cameron which is just an unbelievable one-two punch of directors they each have their own sensibilities of course but both bring something amazing out of their respective stories here i'm just Really looking forward to unpacking it in full now that we've gotten that both got a chance to see it again. You you again meet for the first time. What's also fascinating is that this isn't even necessarily considered James Cameron's best movie. It's I think in the conversation for it. But Alien people would probably say between Alien and Blade Runner is Ridley Scott's best movie. So it's it's like when Aliens might not even be your best movie. You're on a different planet. You're... Yeah. Cameron, I mean, he's he's had an unbelievable career, especially for as few movies as he's re- actually made relative to his age. I mean, Terminator and Terminator 2 are both stone-cold classics. Terminator 2 is still considered one of the best action movies ever made. So is Aliens. Aliens is a stone-cold classic, still considered one of the best sci-fi or sci-fi action movies when made, whatever you want to call it. Avatar and Titanic were both literally the biggest movies of all time when they released. And Titanic, at least, is still beloved. Avatar is going to be put to the test later this year when the sequel comes out. But but as he has proven from last week and this week, 
James Cameron knows how to do something with sequels. This is quite true, both in T2 and in Aliens, of course. So it'll be fun to unpack this one. Uh, Christian, of course, we do like to share some some background info for these movies in case anybody's missed out. Why don't you head and go ahead and fire away with the necessary details for this one? Great. So, Aliens was released in 1986, and the only reason James Cameron was able to make this movie was because Terminator was a success. Because the script for Terminator was presented. Okay, Alien comes out in 1979. It's Which is before ma- Terminator. Before Terminator, before Piranha 2, The Spawning. <laughs> James Cameron's alleged debut directorial feature. Unclear if he was able to finish it or if the producer stepped in, but <laughs> technically his first. Alien comes out, which is greenlit because Star Wars was a success. Alien comes out, massive hit. They immediately want to do a sequel. They don't know who to get, how to write the script. Ridley Scott is never approached to direct it because he was so difficult to work with in the first movie. When James Cameron is shopping around the script for Terminator, it ends up in some of the executives' hands. They look at it, they go, this feels like a long two-plus-hour horror show with no character development. And he wrote that a treatment for the script in, 40, in three days, 45 pages long. Afterwards, he gets to make the Terminator. Massive success. And someone, one of the executives, is looking through past Fox projects to see which one can should get a sequel because they've slowed down the development front. Runs across the treatment. Contacts James Cameron. He expands the treatment to 90 pages. He gets to make Aliens. Having only two movies under his belt, or 1.1, because not that many people you know, went out and supported Piranha 2. <laughs> Speaking of sequels. Right, and then this portends a lot of behind-the-scenes drama because Cameron insists that Galen Hurd work with him, who is his romantic partner at the time and his producer. They made Terminator together, of course. Because he felt like she was the only one who could stand up to him. Which is funny because the, you know, the, the execs around at the time were afraid that she would be the the only person in Hollywood who wouldn't stand up to him because of their close relationship. They wanted an outside <clears throat> producer, but he insisted on, on Galen Hurd. And once again, they were able to collaborate, but still, a lot of behind-the-scenes drama like trying to get in the way of that, and a lot of on-set drama as well. Just one of those, not so troubled that it, it's an all-time troubled production like Titanic was, but still, definitely... Some stories coming out that you can go look up on Wikipedia or I'm sure on the IMDb trivia or or sources like that. (laughs) And despite the odds, of course, the two succeeded once again, I would say. All right. Now, let's... We should should talk about... You just watched Alien. I haven't seen it in about a year and a half. Give me a quick backstory on the movie Alien. Yeah, so if you're like me and have somehow not seen Alien up to this point in your life does feature Sigourney Weaver not really in a starring role until probably about halfway through Which when she takes over. Which is the beauty of that movie that you don't know who the protagonist is. Right. With a, a great cast with her, folks like Tom Skerritt, Harry Dean Stanton, Ian Holm, a lot of faces you'll recognize. And they are the crew of a spaceship, the Nostromo, which is an, an industrial crew. It's lugging back some ore from some distant planet back to Earth. And they get woken up from their deep slumber to go investigate a distress signal on an alien planet. 
They get down there and an alien attacks their captain. When they get back on the ship, they of course realize the alien has laid an egg. And if you haven't seen that movie, I won't say where, but <laughs> it's, it's a pretty famous scene, so you may, you may know what I'm referencing. And of course, the alien hatches and grows into the xenomorph, which is the famous alien of this franchise. And Sigourney Weaver is able to survive the situation with the alien, of course, and in the process, won't say who makes it out with her, but they are forced to destroy the Nostromo on their way out. And then she puts herself into deep sleep, kind of this cryogenesis situation, and drifts off into space in the hopes that she will make it back to Earth or be found by someone. And Aliens picks up with them discovering Sigourney Weaver's cryosleep 57 years after the fact. So basically, you know, they never say this, but all of her loved ones are probably dead at this point. Or very, very old. Or very, very old. And she's now... Basically, she's being questioned by the company who sent the Nostromo, asking her what happened on this distress signal planet. And she tells them, you know, about the xenomorph. She tells them what she found. They do not believe her, quote-unquote. And they've sent a colony to that same planet to terraform it, to make it livable. She says, no, that's awful. You need to get those people out. They do not believe her. But then she gets approached saying that they've lost contact with the colony. And they ask her to join the expedition to the colony, which she agrees on the one condition that they destroy every single alien there. They agree to it, and she goes with colonial marines to this planet to find the lost colonists. And they encounter some threats. Let's just Let's say that. <laughs> you, might, you might say they encounter some aliens, Christian. <laughs> but, oh man. Is there, is there anything you want to talk about in terms of just the expansion of the alien world and the scope? Yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk more about just Cameron's approach to this. It's very different than Ridley Scott's, of course. Because Scott is almost entirely on a single spaceship for the course of the movie. There is the expedition down to the alien planet that, of course, reappears in Aliens. And that takes about, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of screen time. The rest of it's on the ship. So definitely a, a big broadening of the scope here in terms of getting to see the company behind the scenes, interacting with some of the, the head honchos there, having the technology advance as Weaver is asleep for 57 years, getting to go back to this planet as a potential colony for Earth. Definitely an interesting expansion, and it changes some of the feel of the movie, too, because Alien is widely considered a horror movie. Aliens is not. There are definitely some scary moments, I would say, but it's not quite a horror movie in the same way that Alien could be considered. Definitely more of a sci-fi action style movie. Not really a comedy or anything, but some, some key differences there in Scott's approach. And he's not even known as a horror director, of course. That's just what he brought to that material. And that was the script for that movie, too. And then Cameron expands it and makes this big budget action movie. This uses a ton of practical effects. This uses a crap ton of practical effects in even the design of the xenomorph. And we see many, many xenomorphs here. Alien is very much a monster movie. It's a monster chase human movie. And the, the beauty of that is that you don't see the full xenomorph 
until a critical scene where he like lands down and you get to see it in its beauty. Right. And it, notably, also practically played by Bolaji Badejo, who I don't even know if he was in the credits, but he is now widely known to be the, the stuntman who was in the suit of the alien. So even that is just a guy in a costume, like a classic monster movie would be. Here, we have many, many, many aliens in various different forms, having taken various different positions. Uh, I'm going to hold off. I, I think there's more to say about the practical effects, but I want to hold off until we talk about the action. I did put down here Academy Award nomination for Sigourney Weaver for Best Actress in 1986. Yeah, this has got a ton of love from the Oscars, but that's probably the most notable nomination. Because I don't, I can't remember the last time a science fiction movie got an acting nomination, or like a superhero. I mean, what was it? Heath Ledger? Might be. These type of genre movies usually are good at the box office, and then not very loved by the Academy, and especially these days, the love that they will get is in technical categories, which Aliens got. Best visual effects, best sound, best <coughs> film editing, best art direction. But to get a nomination for acting is definitely out of the ordinary. And I mean, Ian McKellen comes to mind for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But like you said, we have to, you have to sort of search your mind for <laughs> these types of nominations. Even all-time classics of, of genres usually aren't loved by the Academy in this way, so it's incredible that she got a nomination for this. With that, let's let's head into our opening question, or is there anything else you want to say? I would say just some, some of the other, other details that we like to throw out here. Another financial success for Cameron, of course, this was made for a much bigger budget than Terminator. This was made for $18.5 million, but brought in a lot more than that, of course. The box office number varies. There have been some re-releases over the years which brought in more, but definitely over $130 million, probably more than that. So another huge success for him. And the only other thing I would mention is just a couple other behind-the-scenes collaborators. Cinematography by Adrian Biddle, music by James Horner. Horner is definitely a musician you've heard before. If you've watched movies, he's made a lot of classics, most notably Titanic. He was behind the score there. All right. Opening question time, Scott. James Cameron is the master of set pieces. And the, this, this movie is no different in that. How does he use practical effects effectively to make Aliens such a compelling story to watch? So you're always here saying that images should be what tells the story. How does that work here? So the first Alien is, I mean, I'm kind of joining the chorus here because I think it's a masterpiece, especially of production design, of, of, of practical effects, of costuming. It's, it's astonishing what they pulled off in that movie. And in this era, you have all kinds of innovation happening. I mean, genre pictures were always good for innovation because they had low budgets and they would have to get creative with it. And so <coughs> Alien is another great example of that. And Aliens, of course, gets a bigger budget, gets to step it up. And camera doesn't sacrifice that core of practical, practically done creatures and scares and action. And it makes them, it's one of those things that makes the movie so lasting, especially as we're getting into the era where CGI and computer generated effects are becoming more plausible. There's a couple shots in, in this movie that made me chuckle because they used CGI <laughs> and it's very, very obvious. And it, you kind of chuckle about how far we've come since then. But 
movies like Aliens remain, Terminator 2 remain, because these extraordinary effects, again, just make these sequences so exciting to watch because there's nothing, there's no computer effects that are going to age poorly. There's only these real, real props, real costumes. And even if the aliens themselves aren't necessarily always being performed by an actor, there is someone operating the, the creature behind the scenes. It gives the whole feeling, the, the movie, a, a bigger feeling of, I guess, like a tactile nature to it. Like you can be afraid and fear the aliens and their acidic, goopy blood. And you can be af afraid of what's gonna be around the corner of this real set they're on, this colony. Like, it just makes the movie age like a fine wine, as opposed to aging like an open bottle of milk. <laughs> and certainly things with bad CGI can sometimes age well, especially if you liked it when it first came out. But these practical effects are a continuation of what Ridley Scott started, and it only makes the franchise, if you want to call it that, makes the series continue to look beautiful and become a beautiful thing to watch. It, it's a time when you used effects because you wanted to be scrappy. And not because you had so much money to burn you didn't care. So you, you, you really wanted to take the dollar and stretch it. And I mean, even with a bigger budget this time, of course, Cameron knows he's, he's on a, he's on a tightrope. He, he's got Hollywood breathing down his neck and he's not the guy who made Titanic just yet. So <laughs> he's got to make sure that he actually makes a good product that makes a ton of money. And not only did it do that, it became an enduring classic. It got a ton of awards, love, like this is, the Terminator obviously kicks off his career, but Aliens takes it to a brand new level because he's now recognized and sealed with Hollywood. If Terminator's what got him to the Hollywood, like got him the Hollywood opportunity, then Aliens is what seals him among the A-list directors of the time. Let's let's talk about this. We we return to the alien world. We're gonna spoil this movie, guys. There's well, there it's what's it's both hard and easy to spoil. There are some plot points I'm going to say that are not really that important to the story, but that I have to say. And it's a kind of blockbuster where you probably know a lot of the story beats. Like, you can predict that not all of the Marines are going to make it off planet. <laughs> Just like in the first movie, you know that not every crew member of the Nostromo is going to survive the alien attack. So there will be some spoilers, but there's not a ton of plot twists or things to reveal. Even the first alien has a couple reveals to it, but this one doesn't, doesn't really have that. Spoiler alert, not every colonist on this planet is still alive when they get there. It's true. In fact, we only see two, and one of them is a cocoon for an alien egg who is alive for about 10 seconds on screen. So, yeah, and they, they realize this, and so what they decide to do is they want to, you know, get away from the colony, but I'm going to stay there. The cocoon and the goop in this movie. A lot of goop. Okay, this this needs to this needs to go into our our, our, our goop movies. What's what's number goop. Princess Mononoke? Princess Mononoke, some animated goop, this is true. Men in Black. Men in Black is a very goopy movie. Aliens. Aliens? Yeah. yeah. We, we could do a whole goop blend of the month. I mean those are three not bad movies to do it with. Maybe the more goop you have in a movie the better it is. I don't want to put that to the test. There's probably some nasty horror movies out there <laughs> that are just drenched in blood or whatever. So we'll let that we'll let that blend of the month sit for now. But okay, these aliens. So they're kind of humanoid, except they have an elongated head, a very elongated head. 
Yes. And at times it looks like they have a tail. Do they have a tail? They do have a tail. They, okay. Yes. The yeah. The, there's I guess the one reveal that Aliens actually has, you know, is that there is in fact a queen xenomorph. And she uses her tail to stab things, so she takes great advantage of it. Like Cell from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> sure, that's the thing that I know about. And the other aliens don't necessarily use it, but they'll they'll grab onto things like when they're in their little hatchling phase, where they have to lay the egg that becomes a xenomorph. They use the tail to constrict the neck of their host. And again, practically done. You actually have that rubber prop <laughs> tightening around the character's necks. Just, again, makes it look cool. No, but my favorite is when the Marines are talking and, and you know, discovering all these dead bodies and you see, you see the tails of the xenomorphs just, like, wiggling in the background or, like, a camera will pan and you'll see a quick shot of it, which is, you know, great because, first of all, it looks so good and also... You, like, tense up a little bit, not because it's scary, but because you know that they're about to encounter the aliens, and you're just waiting for the second that they do, and it's amazing. Yeah, the, the color palette even, like, of course, this is not a very colorful movie, but the way that the xenomorphs can blend into the surroundings, especially as it's, of course, dark, it's not very well lit in this post-invasion and attack colonial building, the way that they can so easily blend into the background and then move, again, not really a horror movie, but those are kind of the elements that survive from Alien. And just one of those things that, of course, Cameron uses to his advantage. And you get attached to some of these marine characters. A lot of them are, you know, fun, performed by actors who are totally game for the hoorah goofiness <laughs> that they have to get up to. And so then you start to fear for their for their inevitable death as <laughs> you see the background moving behind them. It, it's a, oh man, I, I love this movie so much. Okay, great. It's, it's a cool thing to watch set pieces when you can see even a Marine talking and they're viewing slightly off camera and in the background you still see, you know, the slithering of a xenomorph. Or, you know, like the, not jump scares, but like the jumps when um, someone is, is piloting a, a, a hover aircraft type of thing and they turn around and they see that instead of their cool pilot it's an alien not great <laughs> not you know it's not it's not not, not not at all what you want but um let me take this now to it, it's difficult at times to combine practical effects that are done so well in production design with performances and we get some pretty stellar performances in here so i mean yes yeah, sigourney weaver to me is a standout god bless her Queen Sigourney Weaver. However, outside of just her, who we will talk about, who else did you notice besides our, our, our return from the Terminator? Yeah, Michael Bean. He's back. He's playing Corporal Hicks. And it's really fun to see him again. Unfortunately, somewhat of a similar role because Kyle Reese, of course, is a soldier from the future and Corporal Hicks is a soldier <coughs> in the future. But different enough because Reese has this sort of... Is he telling the truth or is he lying is he crazy has that aspect to the character whereas hicks is just a marine trying to stay alive and it's definitely fun to see him back i will say the person i've probably loved the most is bill paxton who is a frequent cameron collaborator as well has only a cameo at the beginning of the terminator but this is his first I, I, unless he was in piranha 2 and i missed it this is his first 
full-length part with Cameron. He plays Private Hudson, who is basically the comic relief of the Marine Corps, who then, of course, gets very afraid. As He's the, the frat boy. Devolves. Yeah. There's a lot of joking between the Marines in this movie that would get them canceled in, t- in today's day and age. So, you know, some of these jokes haven't aged very well, but it, th- their camaraderie is very real among the actors, and, and Paxton gets to, be, gets to dish it out and take it quite a bit. There's a great scene where the android in this movie, androids are running theme in the Alien franchise, is played by another Cameron favorite, Lance Henriksen, who grabs a knife and does the knife game where you know you go from outside your hand into your thumb, outside your hand into your between your pointer and middle finger, and then so on and so forth. And he puts his hand layered over top of Paxton. And so you get to see how Hudson as a character puts up this front but can melt so easily because he gets so freaked out by Bishop the Android doing this with bishop's hand over top of his and so great early scene as they're all they're all dining together before going onto the planet who's the company dude is it burke yes paul reiser who a lot of people should recognize he's you know been around hollywood for a while but most famously recently he's been back in stranger things he's one of the scientists working with 11 in that show and he is here as the company man who brings Ripley out to the planet. He, of course, is the one with questionable intentions that we have to figure out as to why he's really there. Is it really about the colonists? Maybe it's about something else. Another a solid performance from him. I think this is one of his first big Hollywood parts, too. But, okay. Sigourney, who is... Okay, James Cameron does such a great job with, with the female heroine. And people speculate as to why. People speculate as to why he wanted Sigourney Weaver front and center. Or as to why he chose Linda Hamilton to, uh, you know, alongside Arnold to kind of spearhead Terminator in T2. Or as to how he was working with Kate Winslet. And he likes to subvert expectations as a common theory. You didn't get a ton of sci-fi heroines. In fact, as we discussed last week, Sigourney Weaver might have kicked it off. Subverting expectations to a woman heroine is what happened in Alien. And here, he kind of puts her front and center and says, you know, she knows what she's talking about. You all do not believe her. She's going to show you the consequences of that and still be the one to survive. First of all, Christian, don't forget Princess Leia, 1977, Star Wars there. But of I course, don't, I don't, she's uh, part of a, a trio there, not quite the the single lead figure. I, yes. I, I would also say that Return of the Jedi is what cemented her. I mean, she popped off in the original oh, 100%, movie. 100%. Like, 100%. <laughs> I, I mean, look, Carrie Fisher, God bless her, Star yes, Wars. Yes, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, with, with Weaver, of course, I think what has... Another thing that has made this performance so enduring is that it's not just the the angry, screaming heroine, which would be enough. We've had however many male heroes like that who are all intensity, pedal to the metal, screaming, killing aliens or bad guys, whatever it is. And there have been super fun action movie performances that are as unlayered as that. But with Weaver here, we also get a very, very significant development for her character in that they find one child at the colony who has survived the attack and is living on her own. And that is Little Newt, played by Carrie Henn in her only film performance. She did not continue to act after Aliens. And they get to develop this mother and daughter-like bond as Newt's 
parents were killed in the attack and taken away by the aliens. And there are some genuinely touching moments between the two of them, including a moment where I think it's uh, Hicks who comments on the fact that Weaver hasn't slept and should, should rest while they're trying to get their plan to get off world going. And she had already laid Newt down to rest in, in this medical bay. And she goes and just lies down next to her and they drift off to sleep. And it's one of those almost sensitive touches that you don't often find in this type of movie that adds so much depth to her character. She's not just a, a badass woman, but she's also a badass mother, <laughs> I guess, who goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with a different kind of badass mother later on in the movie. I love the joke I heard about this movie, which is that James Cameron really loves the idea that women can have it all. <laughs> like, you know what? You want to be an alien to an adopted mother on an alien... You want to be the mother to an adopted daughter on an alien planet and also pilot a ship? Do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even regarding, like, why Cameron centers women in his early works, at least, like, there are, obviously there are diversions from the formula here, but even Cameron himself, he's sort of a mystery because he's very famous for his, his views on just the environment, specifically some of his more left-leaning or liberal politics, whatever you want to call him. A lot of his movies have environmentalist themes, Avatar, obviously, or will feature some of these kind of squishier, if you will, political views. I, I share some of them, so I'm making fun of myself. But even in something like Terminator 2, very notably, the T-1000 could come back as anything. and He comes back as a police officer. And this is around a very tense time in policing in Los Angeles, where that movie is set, especially. And so Cameron does sneak his views into things sometimes. And although he's not like some paragon of, of political purity, nice little, nice alliteration, Scott, good job. He does have these views, and I think centering and featuring female characters is something that he wanted to do. And even, I, now I'm forgetting, he, he does, you have these moments where you'll find some of the behind the scenes stories where he advocates to involve non-white characters into the stories, where the studio wanted to cast a white actor and he, he fights for someone else, or they want to have the male be the lead and he advocates for the woman to be a co-lead. And so he does have, Despite some of his dictatorial <laughs> yeah, it, problems it, on set, yeah, it, it, it's, it's complicated. He, who was it? I think Kate Winslet said she would never work with him again, but is now working with him again in Avatar: The Way of Water. Just and, and not that he's you know mean. I say mean, quote unquote, but that I mean, he, he probably is mean. <laughs> well, he's demanding is a word I want to use. It's like a, he well, re, he respects the actors, and that's why he demands one hundred and fifty percent of them. Right, and he, he's pulling off these ridiculous set pieces that have taken an immense amount of mental energy to pull together. Of course, funding and and planning and working with great behind-the-scenes crew members to pull it off. So he's going to want the best from his cast, too. So complicated in that he is an on-set jerk, it does seem like, but certainly someone who... His, his persona is a little bit more layered than that, where he's also this deep sea diver who wants to protect the natural world and has made documentaries about the the life deep and down at the lower levels of this sea like he, he's just he's an interesting guy um unanswered questions i threw this in here because they let's let's just say some of them escape the movie ends some of them are able to go back into cryo sleep and escape yes we do not know how long they're going to be in cryosleep for. Yes. We do not know what has happened to the company. I would also be interested to say we don't know if all the aliens on that planet have been killed. 
And the aliens on that planet were there on a spaceship from a different planet. Indeed they were. So we don't know where the aliens are. And how do these unanswered questions fuel the mythos of the story? We are dealing with colonial marines. We don't know necessarily, like... It, it's so cool that I would love to see a movie, you know, about, like, base camp for these marines. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for that movie, you can watch Starship Troopers, which is the satirical <laughs> parody of this exact kind of <laughs> situation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the unanswered questions, for me, they didn't, they didn't drive a ton of thinking, partially because I knew that Alien 3 exists, and I know that Alien Resurrection exists, and there's... A continuation of the franchise and at least two more that feature Sigourney Weaver. Plus Ridley Scott would return with Prometheus and Alien Covenant and look at the, the before times for this franchise. And so it's certainly enough that you can get the sequel tease in there. Like we, we while we do defeat the Queen Xenomorph, we don't know where they come from. We don't know if there's more and probably there are. <laughs> they have to fight the Predator, of course, Christian, in Alien versus Predator. So <laughs> how would there not be more? But it's not one of those things that I didn't, I guess, come away from the movie the way that I do sometimes from, say, okay, a, a Marvel it, movie where I'm like getting on Reddit and I'm like, OMG, who's going to show up in the next Captain America did it, movie? Did it, did, it, did it make you want to watch the other Alien movies? Oh, definitely. And, and I, I think, think that's what I'm pointing out. Yeah, with, with Alien 3, uh, even more problematic, it's directed by David Fincher, of all people, in his first big studio job. And it's famously a misfire, which most people, at the time, you would never have known that Fincher would go on to become <clears throat> the guy that he is. But Alien 3 famously is a downturn for the franchise, despite another extremely talented director behind the camera. And Alien Resurrection has almost no reputation, to my knowledge. It's just... It's, it's, it's a not, movie. Yeah, it's, it's not considered a very good movie. It's obviously what killed the franchise for a little while. So... It, Wanting to continue on is more out of curiosity and less so out of... Like, with Alien and Aliens, I knew that I needed to see these movies. Just as I'm getting continuing on in my journey with movies and watching the classics. Like, these are things that I needed to see. But for any, any furthering on in the franchise for me, it's just going to be curiosity. Because I know... I mean, Alien 3, maybe. I, I want to be able to say I've seen all of Fincher's movies, and this wouldn't be the one that finishes it for me. I have a few to go. But I want to be able to say that I've seen his stuff and... Maybe there's some things to like about it. Alien Resurrection, I frankly, I'm just not excited to watch. And <laughs> but maybe I'll get there someday. For now, the first two are what are considered the Stone Cold classics of the series, and I'm very, very happy to have seen them. But what about you? Are you gonna go out and rent Alien Three, or what are you, what are you thinking? I am. No, I'm excited. I mean, I know that they eventually wake up from this cryo sleep, otherwise it wouldn't be an Alien Three. Right. But. It, it, it's it's just fascinating. It's I, I'm interested in how they flesh out this world. And I feel like if, you know, under different hands with the franchise, this world could have done a lot. Like, having a different director each time, adding their own spin, expanding the world in different ways is a fascinating concept. It's it's what John Carpenter originally wanted to do with Halloween. Or, or um, what is it? It, it, it got... It was done very well by two people who knew what they were doing and both of whom have contributed to things that have spawned franchises like um, Ridley Scott with Blade Runner and uh, now um, James Cameron not just with Terminator but now with Avatar and if they can you know have done that in the past and they can do that now I'm I'm 
I would have liked to see more. I want to see more. And also, I hope that it's franchises never really die, but I would, I would want to see how the franchise gets resurrected now in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, Alien Covenant came out relatively recently. That was only in 2017, which five years is a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, there was <laughs> seven years between Alien and Aliens. So not, not necessarily a, a super long time, and we'll have to see what is coming down the pipe of the franchise. I, I think there are some projects in the works that might be returning to the world, but we shall see. Um, all right, last thing. I want to talk about the fight between the Queen and the aliens. Let's go. Chekhov's power loader. <laughs> oh, nice. The Queen and the aliens. The yes. Queen and Sigourney Weaver. 100%. I see what you did there. Now, so the, the aliens capture Newt, take her away. Sigourney Weaver goes after them. Finds the queen with all her eggs. Which again, just a like an incredible just set. Yes. Having all of these eggs really there. And this massive queen, which obviously is not a person in a suit, but this giant prosthetic queen. We should say Stan Winston is back. The Hollywood legend is back here. He took over from the folks who did the effects in the first movie. And uh, again, his, his work here is incredible. Getting this giant queen that has you know, the tail that can lash out and the giant mouth, which you know, the xenomorph second mouth can come out of. like Just this awesome creature that he's, he's designed. And she flamethrowers all the eggs, killing them, and then destroys like the egg sack, the queen's egg sack. Just launching grenade after grenade. Into it. Directly into the egg sack. Rescues Newt, goes back into the ship. The queen has stowed away into the ship and, oh, rips the android in two with her with her tail. Do rest in peace to Bishop. Really, on, on a redemption arc for Ripley's relationship to androids after the first movie, and he, he bites it. And she is, the queen is now going after Newt, who's like hiding under some air vents. Sigourney Weaver goes into a power loader, looks at her, says, get away from her, you bitch, and then just tackles and forces the queen out of an airlock. Can it's I, amazing. Can I tell you something embarrassing, Christian? What? <laughs> As I was watching that happen, the very first thing to my mind that my mind went to was the moment in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> Same. Same. Bellatrix Lestrange. Mrs. Weasley yeah. looks at Bellatrix Lestrange and says, Not my daughter, you bitch. Launches <laughs> the curse. And I sit there and I was sort of literally laughing to myself like, Ah, so that is where J.K. Rowling got that moment. <laughs> and of course it's fun to, to go back into, friend, you know, into culture's past and find the things that inspired the things that we love now. <laughs> so that, that I have to confess that is what I thought of and got to give props now to... <laughs> to Cameron and his writing collaborators for coming up with that one. And it's a great, it's not the last line of the movie, but it's basically the line that, you know, signifies that the battle has been won. And it's similar to Lena Hamilton's line at the end of Terminator. And it's... <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so, like, and this is what I always love about Cameron. James Cameron writes knowing 
that an audience is going to see his movies. He writes for the audience to cheer. And right. he, I like he, it when I cheer. Yeah, his, his again, we <clears> talked <throat> about it a little bit. His writing is not the strongest aspect of his filmmaking. I will definitely give props where props are due. He does work on almost all of the screen, like all of the movies he works on, he participates in the screenplay. Sometimes he's the sole writer. On this movie in particular, he shares story credit with other folks, but he's the sole screenwriter. So credit where credit is due, because of course, if these movies had garbage scripts, they would not be as well considered as they are today necessarily. But yeah, it's still not, it's, it's the thing that he, kind of hides in his game he, he's got an incredible sense of action building out set pieces and creating memorable characters but the actual writing itself is the only one of the only things about aliens or the other movies that just isn't groundbreaking i loved it i love the dialogue i love I mean, this I, movie and like like you're saying he's he's writing to give people a cheer in the audience he knows that he's not making a little indie movie right now he's making a big sci-fi movie and he wants people to get invested in the marines and uh, to scream and cheer when she drops that, get away from her, you bitch, like when she drops those lines, he wants people to be excited and, and to be cheering, having a good time at the movies. So, I, yeah, I, I think I should clarify. I don't think it's a bad script. I don't think you, you, know, you should be faulted for liking it. Like, he knows what he's doing, even though it's not the best science fiction script ever, even if this is maybe one of the best science fiction movies ever. Um, that's it. That's it for the review. And I, okay, so I watched Aliens on Stars. You rented it from I did. Cinephile. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but living in Los Angeles has its benefits sometimes. We do still have a, a video rental store operating and doing well close to us. That's Cinephile, so shout out to the folks over there. I've also gotten The Abyss from them, which is another Cameron movie that I'll be checking out here shortly. But we also, I mean, a little, just a little postscript. We had a chance to see Bardo, one of your... Uh, most anticipated movies of the year, Christian, and, and it's in a the theater that is right yeah. next door to it's Cinephile. Yeah. So we watched Bardo, and then I popped into Cinephile to get Aliens. Yeah. I, I was torn for what to do for next week. I've been curious, because I normally I'm in the loop for what's coming down the pipe, new episodes, but this time I actually had no idea, because we have discussed some other Cameron movies on previous blends, and... Maybe the ones that we could single out for another episode are not the most important in his filmography. So I am curious, Christian, where you're going with this. After much contemplation, I think that it is necessary for us to have a full-length review and discussion of Avatar. All right. Which is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Of course it is. The good folks at Disney have taken over that franchise and I mean, Fox is the studio. So, Avatar, previously discussed on the show with Keenan and Kaysen Culler of the Hollywood Week podcast. Shout out to the Culler Brothers. I think I'm going to try and get someone to discuss it with us. I think we need, because this is the first time we've done a movie that was previously a movie recommendation. And so, instead of, since we've already talked about it, I would rather us go into a more in-depth analysis of certain stuff about the movie for the way of water, um, but yes, currently streaming on Disney Plus, and uh, you'll just have to tune in to see who the surprise guest is because it's going to be a surprise to me as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm out of the loop, so <laughs> should be fun, and we'll get to continue with our James Cameron blend of the month. I will say, I, Christian, you mentioned this already. I want to mention it again. We have Avatar coming next week, and then the final episode for this month will be a full Cameron ranked list. Correct. Yes. 
I've, I've decided to make this easier. And I wouldn't, I'm, I'm, I would, if we ever do a rankings episode again, I'm going to tailor it to the filmmaker we're doing with. It has to be both written and directed by Cameron. So we're not going to look at his documentary work. We're not going to look at Strange Days. We're going to look simply, we're going to look at Piranha 2, The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, T2, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar. Let's see if you forgot. Did you say The Abyss? Yes. Okay. Eight. Eight (laughs) movies. There you go. Yeah, he does have eight movies, pretty rock solid as as far as filmographies go. The the lesser ones certainly are lesser, like Piranha 2. Can't wait to watch that. But <laughs> even True Lies, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing. It's it, There's something special about it. And, and so I'm looking forward to discussing that in full. If you do want to catch up with us, I will say True Lies is currently streaming on Hulu, which... Take advantage of that because for the longest time, True Lies is a movie by a famous director that no one could find anywhere. Which is, it, that's just funny to me. It was the first movie that cost $100 million in terms of its budget. It was a big movie. It made a ton of money at the box office. Why was that ever hard to find? It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. I, I, I don't know. It's the same thing with how no one can find Strange Days, despite, despite the fact that Catherine Bigelow is an Academy Award winning director and producer who... It's still a big event whenever one of her movies comes out. But you can't find, you probably can't find Near Dark anywhere either. Yeah, Near Dark, also hard to find, unfortunately. But The Abyss, it, it is not streaming anywhere. You might is be it able not on to, Stars? I, I'm looking at Just Watch right now if you're a user of that app, and Just Watch doesn't have it out there. So do your best, see what you can do. And Piranha 2 The Spawning is rentable on Amazon and a couple other places, it looks like. So. Do your best, folks. We'd love to have you following along, of course. Uh, you can also watch the original Piranha, if you'd like. That's streaming a few places, including Peacock. So check it out there. We'd love to discuss... Well, we're going to discuss these movies. We'd love some listener insight and feedback. Maybe your Cameron-ranked lists. We'd love to hear that. Because, of course, this is our show. And if you are looking to submit some of those thoughts on James Cameron, maybe you think we're crazy, and you think Aliens is the most overrated movie ever, you think Avatar sucks... And you want us to know that Cameron is a hack who doesn't deserve all of the praise that's come his way? Send us an email. It's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. I have a thought on that. Yes. I, I think I originally gave The Terminator three stars out of five. Ugh. I rewatched it, gave it four. Christian. No, it's, it's, I think that sometimes Cameron merits rewatches. And his rewatches, to me, have only ever been favorable. I mean, I'll tell you, watching Terminator and Terminator 2 again was really fun. So, for sure, do that. But yeah, we would. I would seriously love to get some listener lists for Cameron ranked, uh, or even if you haven't seen them all, you're not going to be able to fit them all in before the episode comes out in a couple of weeks. Like, just give us your top five or top three, whatever you can do. We'd love to hear from you guys and, and you gals and you folks. So please do submit those lists. Would love to see them. Cinemadriftpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to shout out any lists that do get submitted. There's also a couple other things you can do to support the show, of course. Number one, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review, if applicable. Those five-star reviews really warm our hearts, and we always love to shout out those listener reviews here on the show, as we greatly appreciate the support. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. I will say, in addition to some James Cameron homework, I'm also watching a lot of 2022 movies that I've missed recently. Same. I watched Causeway on Causeway. Apple TV Plus with Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence. Thumbs up, thumbs down? 
Um, thumb sideways. Thumb sideways. But Jennifer Lawrence, it's one of her best performances, I think. Oh, exciting. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I myself watched Good Luck to You, Leo Grand last night, which is a thumbs up for me. Okay. I watched Apollo 10 and a Half, Richard Linklater's most recent animated movie for Netflix, which is two thumbs up for me. I watched Armageddon Time, which is the newest movie Ooh, by James Gray. I still got to get out there and see it. Um, that's two thumbs up for me. Ooh. I, I'm trying to think of what... I, I've watched a lot of movies recently. I watched Uncharted, which is two massive thumbs downs from me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, wait, there was, there was something else I watched besides Bardo. There was... Um, we saw women talking. We saw women talking. Yes, we did. Which I think both of us are positive on, but neither of us loved. Yeah, it's definitely a movie worth seeing. Yeah. And it, taking a very interesting angle on some of the contemporary issues of the day, especially as it pertains to uh, some of the Me Too era um, that we're living in now. So some rock solid performances. Um, we both agreed on that. So definitely a movie to check out if it, if it when it. Hits theaters near you. And this week, you will get your episode the same day or less than 24 hours after Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out. That is true. Which I am watching at 11 p.m. on Thursday. Amazing. And uh, The Fablements also comes out this Thursday, bro. We are, I mean, there's just like, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable how many good movies are out right now. There's so much that I, I mean, that I still have to see. I haven't seen Banshees of Inisherin. I haven't seen oh. Tar. <laughs> Banjo's of Inisherin is, is, is a phenomenal movie with mortality on its mind. There we go. So a lot of movies here that are going to probably get some discussion either in December or in January when we release our respective top tens of the year, which, good lord, I don't know how I'm going to fit everything in and make I feel that like list. So the longer that we do this, the less movies that we overlap on our top tens. I think when we did our top ten list of 2019, which is an episode no one has ever listened to nor probably ever will... We had like five movies that overlapped. And now, last year, we had one. Yeah, true. We'll have to see what makes it out this year. I'm not, I'm not sure where we stand. I, we may have a couple crossovers, but we'll see. Little 2022 releases bonus content here at the end of the episode. So if you're still listening, thanks for that. You, you know, Feel free to shoot us an email with your favorite movie of the year so far. But of course, we got Avatar coming up next week. It's on Disney+. Plus. Go check it out. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.